everybody and welcome to Assassin's Creed, your number one podcast for all things Assassin's Creed. Good evening everybody and welcome to episode 136 of Let's Talk Assassin's Creed. In this episode we're going to be talking about one specific DLC, the Jack the Ripper expansion for Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Um, I, I put this one on our planning spreadsheet all about January time when I started playing it and I very quickly realised that in in my humble opinion, it's a fantastic DLC. It's probably my favourite, and I mm. thought we really need to talk about it. So this one's been on the on the on the planning sheet for a while. Um, I'm going to welcome our special guest in just a moment, but before we do, um, we've had a request from Twitter for a birthday shout out. So I'd like to say have a very happy birthday to just a user, um, who I, I'm guessing is a regular listener, which is great. So just a user, have a great day. Let's get back to the show. And welcome our special guest, Louise. Hi. I have thoughts. Well, I mean, let's get into it. Where do you want to start? <laughs> hmm. Well. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pregnant pause, right? This is this is going to be meaty stuff. So, we know I love Syndicate. We know it's basically a personality trait at this point. <laughs> I, who, did anyone else pick up on that? I hadn't. No, not at all. <laughs> hmm. Um... Yeah, I have. I like Jack the DLC in terms of the design, like um, Bear McCreary's soundtrack that he did, magnificent, terrifying, but mm-hmm. magnificent. Um, like color design and reusing some of the sets, um, magnificent. Sometimes you don't even realize it. Like Mission Four, you are back in the Kenway Mansion. Didn't click yes. the first time. It was like. Only when I asked somebody, when I was replaying it at Halloween, um, beautiful, well done. Um, story-wise, setting-wise, absolutely bloody not. Really? You don't like... Okay. No. Okay. I think it was inappropriate. All right. And I know there are people out there who agree with me. Like, I think it was inappropriate to use as a setting for a DLC. Tell us more. I mean, Jack the Ripper was a real life, well, as much as we know, one yeah, person it's a, could have been multiple a, people. He, she, they, whoever Jack the Ripper was, mm. is essentially British folklore now, to the point that I say future uh, murderers who became after eighteen eighty eight, like, have played on that fear of terrorizing women in the dark and using the name to install the fear fear because they know what it did to people in that like six month period or supposed six month period in 1888 um and i think especially on reflection with what's happened in the past 12 18 months in england i don't know if everything about like um the murder of sarah everard um is well known outside of the uk um that kind of thing kind of puts it in a different light especially it's like i might have different views on it because i'm a woman like i'm a young woman and you two are dudes but it especially doesn't feel right it feels quite disrespectful to like the memory of the women who were murdered and yeah i have many thoughts but do you guys have thoughts (laughs) i know you quite like the design when you played through it I have lots of thoughts, but I'm Declan wants to speak first. Declan, yeah. go ahead, mate. 
well, to be honest, I've only watched the YouTube clips and looked at all the other things. I've never actually played the DLC. And the reason I've actually played the DLC is kind of exactly what Louise is talking about. And I know I'm not the kind of guy who jumps down like, oh, this is wrong for political reasons, because I'm so sick of this day and age, I try to keep happy. But Assassin's Creed has a problem, in my opinion, of fueling conspiracy theorists at times, just because of the nature of alternate history. And the idea of playing as Jack the Ripper, who, as Louis said, has become folklore, and giving that fuel to the conspiracy fire, because everyone's conspired for years, was it the Queen's Doctor or something, it kind of just... Or even made... one of the members of the British royal family at some point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it kind of be a bit unnerving that Assassin's Creed dared to create an identity for it. Mm. An identity that they didn't need to do. Jack the Ripper's crimes were so horrific, they shouldn't be publicised in a game manner. Even though the story does read heavy and more sombre and there's no comedy moments, which is best. But as Darby McDevitt did say in our interview, you know, there is going to be times where certain history is just too close. And Definitely, personally, yeah. I think Jack the Ripper is a little bit too close yeah. because it's... It, it, <laughs> And I'm trying not to get into very political, meaty stuff, but one, the social economic problems of him targeting women of the women in the night was horrific, and kind of playing DLC glorifies his time of actions. I know it doesn't specifically do that, but you play as Jack in the DLC. To me, that's yeah, kind of glorifying his actions and turning it just from a horrible moment in British history to hey, let's make a game out of it. Not to be rude, it's as bad as them making a game out of the Notre Dame fire. Like, that's oh, a wait, historical, a very, a very timely comment. Um, yeah. We should probably explain that. So we're recording this on Thursday, uh, twenty sixth of, of May. Actually, tomorrow um, Kenobi is released. So we should have started the podcast with hello there. Can't believe we missed that opportunity. <laughs> anyway, back to the uh, back to the plot. So yeah, what was it? Two days ago, Ubisoft released a, Monday, a trailer wasn't it? video. Monday, was it Tuesday? Monday? Yeah, the I don't know. I was video. mid-exam at that point. I didn't right, really okay, check social media. Okay. I um I subscribed to the Ubisoft YouTube channel and it popped up on my notifications and I thought, what's this? Watch the video and it was a trailer for a VR. Well, here's the thing, right? When I watched the trailer, it and the way it was presented was Escape from Notre Dame's Fire, and I thought, hang on a minute, this is a French company making a, a, a game out of like a national... And no one died in the fire. I think three firefighters were injured. But no one died in the fire. But Notre Dame is a national personification of France and they've made a game out of it. This seems a bit... Now, I wasn't like massively offended. I wasn't... I didn't get upset, but I just kind thought... Kind of like, ooh, feels a bit that, off. that's a bit... Yeah, yeah. Hiss I mean, and take I, yeah. kind of... Yeah, I wasn't going to write to my MP or write to Eve Guillermo and say, you know what, this this is a bit of a problem. I just thought that's a bit off. But interestingly, I had a quite a good chat with lots of different people on Twitter. Some saying, yeah, it's a bit weird. And others saying, it's fine. Um, and then Maxime Durand, the historical consultant on Assassin's Creed, replied to me and said, well, actually, it's about protecting the... Um, uh, it's the firefighting and protecting the cathedral from the fire. 
but you see the video had presented it as escape from this event and it just i think and that actually the comments and the, yeah. it doesn't at all it was presented as like um an adventure and that and the presentation is important and if you read the comments people were laying into to ubisoft about this video and it being inappropriate and too soon and all the rest of it but when maxime durand replied and actually put a bit of a different context on it it totally changes the the purpose of of this vr experience they've created um so i suppose what we can say is context is key um time probably does matter um, yeah. as you said louise think... it was 1888 so we're looking at 135 years mm. in the past um but these crimes were were they unprecedented or were they unprecedented because of the media coverage that that made it bigger than I'm not trying to say there were lots of these murders going on in England or around the world, but maybe there was something unique or maybe it was just at that right time of mass printing. Lots of people could read by then. So more people could pick up the stories. Yeah. Cause it uh, was national it newspapers that reported yeah. it at the time and stuff. And especially when you've got like the hoax letters coming in, you've got, um, you know, people in the East end potentially knowing these women, you've got, um, people like Queen Victoria was interested in the investigation to the point she wrote to um, Freddie Abilene to be like, "Do we know who he is yet?" Um, yeah, it, it's at the age of like mass media where you could get stuff for, in a couple of days, and I just—I don't know—I suspect that the brutality of it, of like. Like some of these women were disemboweled, their um, like their kidneys, their uteri were stolen. Um, the fact that um, investigations look um, like the cuts and incisions, but like um, the person knew what they were doing. There is a lot of context to it that is quite gruesome and quite like we were talking beforehand, and James mentioned um, you mentioned how the context of the time particularly laws and stuff like that was heavily stacked against women and it is um so i don't know i guess that has something to do with it but there have been games that i think have done it like the jack the ripper stuff a bit more tactfully the 2009 sherlock holmes versus jack the ripper game by frogware frogware frogmare frogware um is how i got introduced to the jack the ripper stuff and yeah it's sherlock holmes and it's a puzzle game like you've got little puzzles to try and solve who it is but it doesn't shy away from the historical socio context so you do find out about you know like the lives of some of these women you do find out like i'll be honest there was quite a lot of anti-semitism to do with um like the investigations purely because of where it was there are some people who attacks uh in, initiated attacks on jewish butchers and stuff like that because um you know people are people are assholes sometimes and they jump to conclusions mm. of oh it's around this area oh it's probably this person yeah or this or that minority case. are most likely to be guilty of the crime you know mm. just because they're a minority which they weren't no um uh this is kind of it's kind of the things that the dlc for syndicate doesn't do very well like it doesn't utilize 
the the women are basically just objects and plot devices to murder at this point. Like, um, you don't get to know the women. They are like, oh, they're just women Jacob trained who are now dead. I think the most respectful thing they did in the game was not show us um, Mary Kelly's body at the end. We at least had that discretion shot of like just seeing Evie's reaction. Yeah, she's the final um, murder victim, isn't it? She mm-hmm. she was the most brutally and the youngest attacked, I guess. Yeah, and the youngest. Yeah, but there was this thing of yeah, I don't think it handled it very well. I'm like, unlike the gendered perspective, like like it's a very good game. It's got good like intentions, I guess. But it's, there's just so much of it it just doesn't utilise. Or it does it in a way that is very surface level. To be like, oh, our game is, our audiences are expecting this game to be about Jack the Ripper, so we'll give them Jack. Thumbs up? Yeah? No. No, I, no. Here's the thought I've got. We can't answer it on this show, but um, it's something, remind, just what you've said there reminded me of. Something that I listened to oh, probably six, nine months ago on the Sisterhood Speaks podcast. They had, I think the lady's name was Kim Belair, but I may be misremembering that um, as a guest. And again, I may be misremembering this, but I think one of her roles, I don't think she's at Ubisoft now, um, but I think one of her previous or her current role is something called sensitivity reading. Um, which is kind of what we're talking about. So, okay, we've got an idea for a, for a, a game, a plot, some characters. Is this actually a story we should be telling? Or are we telling it in the right way? And I wonder if the the story that they planned, fitting this, this character into the universe and fitting Jacob and Evie's story into it, I wonder if that went through sensitivity reading and they decided it was fine, or whether it didn't, because such a role didn't exist at that time. Because you know, let's be honest, we're we're seven years, pretty much after approaching seven years after the release. The work would have been done probably eight years ago. Have, yeah, eight plus more since it would have been in development. So yeah, we're talking what 2013, 2014? Absolutely. When they would have been Absolutely. thinking about this as a plot. Yeah. So maybe I don't earlier. even know if such roles existed then, but um, maybe they would handle it differently differently now. Mm. Maybe they wouldn't even tackle it now. And um, think about like the um, academic scholarship we have on it too. So I think it plays a lot on like the typical sort of standards, like oh, they're women who murdered, they were prostitutes. There's no disputing the fact of that. As well, it's like so. A lot of the kind of readership you see and like the um, takeaways from historical records, particularly policing records from even as early as like the 1830s that if a woman was sent to like the poor house or they were in like a homeless shelter they were in nearly always assumed to be a prostitute regardless of what happened regardless if like they were escaping an abusive household like some of these women might have been they were just a prostitute they could have been sleeping rough nope and it's something that Hallie Rubenhold says very well in a book that I keep recommending to people, and I I know you've started reading it. I have started um, it. I hope to fun. finish it for this recording, but think keep, things keep happening, and I'm only about um, halfway through the, the yeah. story of the first victim, um, yeah. Polly, who was real Polly name Nichols. was? 
polynipples. Polynipples, yeah. Yeah, so. But, uh, yeah, so to cut long story short, um, Hallie Rubenhold uses the contacts to kind of say, well, maybe only two of these women could have been prostitutes at a push. The rest were probably just poor or homeless or, you know, sleeping rough. And quite a lot of the like perceptions of the time against women, particularly because at this time you still didn't have no-fault divorce. You Women, I think only very recently at this point, could have inherited and kept property in their own name. Um, they were still seen as property of their husbands and their children were their husbands. They weren't theirs. There was nothing for them, essentially. So very, very hev- heavily stacked against them. And like even in the 1860s, if we're going back to the main game, where like there was the exclusion of prostitutes there, even though it's probably very rife in the East End at this this point. Um, like there was the Contagious Diseases Act, where women walking alone at night, or just women on their own standing on street corners, could be arrested on suspicion of a pros- being prostitutes, even if they weren't. And subjected to like examinations for things like syphilis, they could just be—I don't know—they could be just a young woman on her own, or a poor woman. But no, they—you're just assumed to be a prostitute. And I don't think. What was my point? Society <laughs> yeah. was was. I mean, it society's was... a shit stain, basically. Yeah. 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 To put it in colloquial terms, it's a shit stain. So let me and... let me. Sorry, Louise, go on. No, I'm done. <laughs> Let me ask a very quick question. It might not be a quick answer. Quick question then. So do you think, I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying, but do you mm-hmm. think the game simply ignores the complexity and it yes. should have addressed it? Or do you think the game doesn't do, tries to address it but doesn't address it very well? My first answer is yes. Yeah. But it doesn't address it. And if it does very poorly... Mm. Because you are getting very surface level thing of the most the most important thing for Evie as a character who in if you read the like her journal entries that she writes and you unlock after certain sequences, like number ten after Starrick's um been assassinated. It if this feels like a victory, only it, you can't exclude it as one because women still are subject to things like this. She is a feminist at heart. She would I like to think that Evie and like any children or nieces and grand nieces like Lydia would have been suffragettes. Like they're strong willed women who want independence for, for women and basically that they didn't have at that point. And for her to immediately just instantly think, I need to stop Jack and and to save my brother, rather than without thinking, Oh, I need to find my brother, but these women also need help. Like it doesn't feel like it's sensitively handled like it's like and these might have been women that she might have met when Jacob took Jack and co to India like we see the photo of some of them in front of the temple of Kali yeah which she finds in Jacob's flat he could have taken other initiates other novices other than Jack and maybe his son we're assuming it's a son because Lydia's dad um but it doesn't really tack into the characters. And on one hand, I wonder whether that's because 
of just how much of the game was changed during development. Like, I think I spoke in the Lydia episode about how much just got removed and, like, how different the game was from, like, early pre-concept. Do you mean the the base game? Yeah. Yeah. But this also would have probably also changed as well, I guess. Mm. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, you've also... We're looking at this from 2022. Like, Hallie Rubenhold hadn't published this book in 2015. Hadn't published it in 2013. Um, so a lot of the scholarship is very different. The way we can approach this is very different to a decade ago. So maybe a, a decade ago, we may have thought diff- a little bit differently about it. But even when I was playing it or watching someone play it the first time, I still found it incredibly off-putting, incredibly uncomfortable, particularly in the points where you are playing as Jack and you are using the fear tools and, I don't know, walk of shaming women as well. You, a lot you of that walk, just you didn't... Walk and sh- no, you walk of shame men that have mistreated That's women. That's it, my bad. Yeah. But, like, a lot of it still feels very off-putting from a mm. standpoint that I don't think it handled as well, it as well as other games have. Okay, so what, remind remind me again, what was the name of the other game that you said did this better, this time period and these characters? Sherlock Holmes character, versus character. Jack the Ripper. Gotcha. Published okay. in 2009, I think. So there isn't that much difference in scholarship from when this was released to when the Syndicate DLC would have been in early development or prelim stages. Yeah. Yeah, Declan, did you want to say something? You had your hand up. Um, I have been thinking, and it's a very dangerous habit for me to be thinking, but wouldn't it have been better than if Ubisoft handled Jack the Ripper as more of a invisible opponent instead of a full opponent in your face? So one that you never see the identity, they tackle the issues more sensitively instead of just making it a not sound harsh but more of a pop cultural type attack a reference mm-hmm. to it so wouldn't it be, because my issue listening to all these topics and actually looking into the wiki now for how the gameplay is, is jack the ripper was such a prominent figure in history and such folklore that it is bad to give him a face and give him a mood and give him a lot of real I don't know how to word it. It's like they create an image for people to latch onto, like a pop yeah. cultural image. Like this is what he should have looked like. He was doing it for this reference. So wouldn't it work better in Syndicate Standing if it was just an invisible opponent? I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I I kind of agree with you, but I, to be honest, I don't think they should have done the DLC at all. But I remember hearing when Syndicate was announced at E3, when I was a new Assassin's Creed fan, (laughs) that everyone assumed that the game was going to talk about Jack the Ripper in 1888 before the DLC was officially announced. Like, it's that ingrained in pop culture that we expect it. And I, I think I agree with you with the idea that we should have just kept him faceless if we had to use him at all. It's this idea of, like, we don't know who they are. 
or if it was one person at all. Um, it feels kind of disrespectful to the memory of these women. And there may have been more. Like, there's a canonical five, in inverted quotes, but there's also this thing of some women's murders from pre, like, summer 1888 and, like, spring 1889 have been associated in some of these cases. So the number can go from five to, like, 14, in some, depending on how you're counting. Wow, as many as that. Mm-hmm. Because of like similarities in like motives, which could have been copycat killers, it might have been the same dude. Nobody knows, but it's kind of this. It just feels wrong to kind of be like, oh, definitively go. This is the guy. This is how they did it, and sort of spin it on like the assassins are at fault. To be like, oh, Jacob didn't train him properly because this kid has PTSD from seeing his mum murdered. Or, so, Jacob trained a child. It feels... Not even touching the historical context and stuff like that. Like, in terms of, like, a writing standpoint, it doesn't latch on with what we've learned. Or, like, how London may have looked under Jacob as a mentor as well. Because I don't think he would have been as, like, it's kind of implied. But at the same time, I've seen people, as soon as they found out that the DLC was going to be on Jack the Ripper, they were like, oh, there's no Jacob in these adverts. Is Jacob the Ripper? That would have been a plot twist. (laughs) (laughs) I think, um, I I won't argue in terms of sensitivity point of view, um, because certainly some of the yeah you are dealing with things that you're absolutely right maybe shouldn't have been touched i did although i i i will explain a little why i think it's a very good dlc um and as compared to some of the others which i don't think are very good at all um i think unity and syndicate to be honest are probably my favorite dlcs yeah there are definitely Um, dlcs i think were worse written but like in terms of context wise this one's still kind of down the bottom for me. Sure, sure. Um, there are issues I had with the story in that, obviously, they, they've got... The writers are trying to fit the history into the Assassin's Creed universe. And it isn't clear to me, what. why do these women wear a ring? I guess it's supposed to be an assassin ring. Are they informants for Jacob? What is Jacob doing in... Whitechapel in the east end of London is that where Templar activity is is he even still active in the Brotherhood or is he is he sort of a local vigilante protecting people though those elements to me were very unclear um about that initial uh sort of setup for the story um I will say that from the point of view of the structure of the game so 10 memories uh, one of which is a prologue probably about five hours of content. There are some side activities, like we mentioned, Walk of Shame. Um, There's the slow carriage race, which is quite an interesting take on the existing carriage races and so on that we do in the main game. Um, Then there is the, I can't remember the name of the activity, but there's just a couple of activities where you effectively have to liberate um, prostitutes who are brothel liberations. That couldn't think of the word. 
and I felt they were actually, and again, let's I'm gonna set aside context for a minute, as a stealth challenge in a tiny, tiny restricted location. So think about the big locations we have where we do the the set piece assassinations in in Paris and then in London. Um to have that kind of assassin challenge in this tiny, tiny space was again a really interesting twist on what we've already done. Um the story itself of of Evie kind of following this trail of of murder that Jack lays, um, I thought was very well very well structured. Let me put it like that. Um, it leads into it well. Um, we get two really um, satisfying and engaging set piece assassinations: one with Lady Owers, and then one with the uh, the executioner in Deptford. Um, which is a, a town further down the river from from the city, um, and then it comes to the final conclusion with Jack. And I felt what really appealed to me, part, probably because I'd come off the back of some very long and unsatisfying DLCs, um, it got to the point. We it's something that you can play in a, in a couple of days. Um, it felt like it had a beginning, middle, and end. Um, it felt like Evie, it Evie had had a i suppose a bit of an arc she came in concerned for her brother he jack his actions gradually got more and more under her skin and she it, it, she really lost it you know with that final um murder um and then she resolves at the end and rescues her brother so i found it to be ignoring context for a moment i found it to be really fun fun might be the wrong word now bearing in mind what we've discussed intriguing yeah it was good to play it had some new mechanics with the non-lethal takedowns and using different um fear tactics, fear tactics. yep um so i felt as a as an expansion on the base game it was very well done they i felt that they really got that that cold um there's like a yellowish smog throughout that pervades the whole game um, all the characters have got got puffs of cold breath by their mouth, um, and I felt they really created a yeah that that freezing miserable atmosphere. It's not a, I, I, I would let, I need to try and think my words carefully. It's not a pleasant experience to play. I wasn't playing it with a smile on my face. Like if I was to fire up Odyssey, it sets the atmosphere very well. Yeah, I'll give it, it that. does. It does. Yeah, like Bear, you know. I said at the beginning, like Brad McCreary did the soundtrack for this while Austin Wintry did the main game. So mm. they got someone else to do this. And I think that was the right decision. Like, the, yeah. the tones, of especially, like, the theme that you get and, like, Jack's unofficial theme and the bits that come up, it, you definitely get that, like, constantly looking over your shoulder kind of vibe from it. Yeah. As, yeah. And, like, this is an Eevee who's had 20 years in the Brotherhood. Um, and has learned stuff has learned has probably seen like um novices under her fall before so and has lost contact with her brother so there is this kind of like go returning to somewhere that was once a bit homely as well and it just feels different like you are also yeah. returning it may be six months it may be a few days after you finished like staric and stuff like that but no it's very well done from like a game's perspective yeah um yeah especially when you consider that like we are seeing this as the faceless initiate 
like bishops initiate mm. um it kind of it's something that people keep talking about with the kind of like edward and arno like when they get a little bit drunk it changes how the game looks <laughs> kind of yes. like london itself feels a bit depressed for lack of a better word like london just feels hollowed out and gloomy and miserable and not not as friendly or as lively as it did back in the main game which kind of reflects like i think how reflects evie might be looking at the city as she's going around like oh this is different oh there is constant fear here so she's not going to be remembering the good stuff she's just going to be focusing on you know there's challenges there's terror there's a rescue and an assassination to be had here. Yeah. I think that that feeling of what you said there kind of triggered, triggered something in my head. So we are playing as the Helix Initiate who is in the Animus reliving these memories. And when you play as Jack, <gasps> it's not pleasant. It really isn't. Oh, God. Um, but you have to. Um, and... Oh. There are these these brutal takedowns or these brutal assassinations you can effectively do, um, and you really feel. I felt that I don't want to do this, but I have no choice, and that that's quite an interesting way, maybe, of designing the game so that you feel what the Helix Initiate would feel in the Animus, mm-hmm. having to sit through this nightmare almost um, of memories. Um, there's one other little law question I've got for you both. One of my notes I've got here when I was thinking about this episode today. So Syndicate as a whole, does Syndicate present us with the highest number of characters that we live through the Animus? We've got Jacob and Evie, Lydia, and briefly, I think in two sequences, Jack. I think it does. I don't think any other game lets us relive the memories of so many people. Yeah. Yeah, because Revelations was just Ezio. Two and Brotherhood were Ezio. You've got Altair. Arguably also Seth for a time. Um, You've got uh, Connor and Haytham. Oh yes, two and three. Yeah. Um, And then... No, I think... No, yeah, this is the first one. So yeah, apart from... I suppose yeah. that the three recent games you've you've had Ayer and Bayek, Alexios or Cassandra, and then you've got Eivor, but she's kind of two personalities Alexis within and one. Cassandra. Well, you, that's a good point. You do play as both of them, don't you? Yes. There was a later update where you played yes. a sequence as Deimos, which also tacks back into what you said about forcing the player to do it. Because yeah, that was I horrible doing that, that bit as Alexios. Or that, yeah. like, which I haven't played because I finished the game before that update came out and I haven't new game plus yet. Um, that point of you can't progress unless Layla does this as Deimos. And it's like, no matter how nice you've been playing Layla at this point, it does beg the question of what's coming next. But, yeah. So what do you think, Declan? You haven't played it, but you've you've done some research. What were your impressions? What did you take away? Um, my biggest takeaway is, and I'm going to quote one of the most famous things that gets said in the community, 
to me, from what I've read, it does not feel like an Assassin's Creed DLC. It Assassin's Creed always toes the line between slight humor, slight. I'm gonna say PG twelve. I know there's a lot of assassinations which would probably would count as PG thirteen, but it's more. If you look at like um, Black Flag, you know that's very is upbeat with Edward. You know there is a dark, serious vibe in the story, but Edward is a bit upbeat. You know there's a bit more. You know he's just a guy who's trying to con his way in the world, but the DLC just comes more of like a gothic horror, and when the other like the brutal takedowns, like really doesn't sound like something that belongs in Assassin's Creed, and I know I could be wrong. I know what you mean. It, mm. I mean, it is... Hmm, that's a really good point. It is Assassin's Creed in that you've got stealth tools and a city and parkour. And it um, brings back that sort of... Um, the investigation tactics that you use in yes. the dreadful crimes missions. Yes, I love those. Um, I love the crimes in Unity, and I've really enjoyed the dreadful crime story in Syndicate and how it all built to that conclusion. Mm. Um, but in some ways, you're right. You're not fighting Templars. You're not uncovering. There's no piece of Eden involved. You're once again picking up from Jacob's mistakes, which we've yeah. moved past that. It's it's the same thing I said with when I keep talking about Forsaken. It feels like a step backwards in terms of characterization for Jacob in particular at this point. And, yeah, it does have, it uses the mechanics of an Assassin's Creed game, but launches itself more into the history. And like you were saying earlier, Declan, about using Jack the Ripper, because because it's there, because people want to see it. For all that it uses the history, I don't think it uses it very well. Like this idea of like breadth, not depth. It's taking the history, but not the history. I think what makes it worse, in my opinion, is that. And I know used to may agree with this. I know others. I think Louise will actually probably agree with me. There is something in DLC in Syndicate's base game that should be taken out of the base game and made into a DLC that would have actually made the game probably ten times better. And that is the Helix Rift mission. If they did a oh, lot more yeah. work with the yeah. Helix Rift mission and they turned that into a DLC, that would have worked a lot better for the type of the game. Because it would make more sense canonically because you're playing as... And I've totally forgotten her name. Lydia. You're playing as Lydia, so it is technically a memory from the same genetic line as Evie and Jacob. You're not really stepping on any toes historically. You're not offending anyone. But you're also giving fans that World War-esque game that they've wanted, but in a more controlled and smaller environment that's more respectful. So wouldn't it have been probably more beneficial if they skipped Jack the Ripper and focus on Lydia Fry DLC instead. Mm. I have a better idea. Oh, go on. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong, Declan. I think you're right. I, I would love. I again, I really enjoyed the uh, the rift, the, the Lydia Fry sequence around the Tower of London. I thought it was fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Um, 
I actually think between, and I know appreciate Louise, we have slightly, well, yeah, we kind of differ a little bit on opinions on the DLC. Um, I think Syndicate has got some of the best sort of expansion content with the yeah. Dreadful Crimes, Jack the Ripper, question mark there, um, and the World War One Rift. I know it wasn't an expansion, it was part of the main game, but it, but it was still feels a surprise like an expansion. announcement that no yeah. one was expecting. Yeah, I do so think Syndicate's sort of got... It. Yeah, so that's an interesting point because I, I, I mean, I didn't play Syndicate until twenty twenty for the first time, twenty twenty one. So when Syndicate was announced, it was a complete surprise then that there was this whole other world, should we say, embedded in the game. Yeah, there was okay. no marketing material, no information about Lydia at all. You just mm. finished sequence seven, sequence six, sequence seven. And yes, then and the rift just up. rift just appeared. Exactly. Hello. See, my, immediately my sarcastic, uh, or, or yeah, my sarcastic brain says, "Well, it's Lydia Fry. It's a woman. Of course, there was no marketing material about it. I'd like to think it was all done deliberately as part of a surprise, but uh, who knows?" Hmm. Um, I was I was heading towards a, a point here. Uh, what was I going to say? Damn it! <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. I can say a point if you want. Go. For, yeah, please do. Please do. So, Declan, you were saying about it not feeling like an AC game. I think the Lydia Fry... Uh, you just reminded me of a point. I'm going to put it in the chat window and I'll come back to it. Okay. Um, Lydia Fry, I think, latches on better or utilises the Assassin's Creed stuff, like the lore, and like presents us more interest in like more development of the Brotherhood in London better than Jack the Ripper does. And we don't get much... Like at least this, at least with Lydia, it kind of, kind of, you get bits of information from her, um, codex, not the codex, database of like, you know, like there's this bit of like, yeah, Jacob survives, spoiler alert. Um, but you know, they train her, they're proactive. They, they still are part of the brotherhood. There is a little bit of shaping here. They don't go into detail much. Um, but you do get the implication of, you know, stuff has grown. They have been proactive and helped, like, change things. But with, like, with JTR, you, there are so many characters from the base game that do not return, that are not mentioned at all. Like, Evie married Henry. Where is he? Ah. Where is, where is Clara? Where is Agnes? Where are, um, you know, the people who Jacob installed in, like, the gang strongholds after the blighters were removed? Where are the other people he trained? Like, something you could have had, I don't know, Evie recognising um, Rooks or something like that of who were now trying to kill her. Like, just a quick like throwaway line of an encounter like why oh like jesse why are you doing this or something or someone attacking her and saying i'm sorry or i don't know there could have been a bit more world building this uh segues nicely into into the thought i started several minutes ago and then i forgot because i'm old um Let's wind the clock back to our 2012, 2013. We are in charge of the development of Syndicate and, and the post-release oh, content. We've got a big empty whiteboard 
um, it seems to me there is a very obvious choice for the DLC. Now, of course, the advantage of Jack the Ripper is you can reuse a lot of visual assets from the main game. So it's cheaper. I get it. You've got the same map, the same buildings, pretty much um, all the rest of it. But if you were being a little bit more ambitious and you wanted to do that world building, Louise, um, you wanted to establish or, or, or um, expand the law. We go back to what you said a moment ago. Where is Henry Green? The answer is he's in India. We could have had an expansion in India where which is Henry and Evie doing stuff in the 1870s or 1880s in India. Yes. Which would have connected nicely to Chronicles India, which was released also released 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Fry Green Kiddos? Yeah, Yeah, we could have picked up the the remnants of the story of of Arbazmir and and all the rest of it um, sort of 30 years later. So that would have been. And it could have even tied nicely into like a Lydia game as well, because hypothetically. Okay, we're going to go into fic territory here, fanfic territory. Let's do it. I have, like, fake plotted out a family tree for the fries, essentially. Like, fry green mirror. Um, like, Jacob's got a son. It's it's not confirmed, but it's implied because of Lydia. I like to think that if Evie and Henry had kids, if at all, they would have had one. And if it was a daughter, maybe named her Corpri after, you know, the woman yes. that you knew in the books who assass- um, sacrificed herself to keep the secret of, you know, um, Jaideep in London safe after being betrayed. Um, but I feel like that she would have been a suffragette at the time with Lydia. And that brings in the question of knowing uh, the Maharaja's daughter. Uh, Sophia was a no- was one of the notable suffragettes at the at the time that the that the um, Helix Rift was set basically, and because she was kind of like interesting fact for Sophia Dilip Singh, because she was kind of like the Queen Victoria was her godmother essentially, and because she was like known to the royal family and royal, she couldn't be arrested. So she was doing all this suffragette stuff and promoting and like handing out leaflets. She was never arrested for it. Um, That's fast. So she was kind of protected by her status. Yeah. They couldn't touch her. Great. But you I think need, sometimes you need been, someone on the inside. Yeah. And that would have been such an interesting figure to kind of connect and utilize both sides of the fries, even if, you know, they're on two different continents or in two different countries having two different lives and two different brotherhood developments. Mm. Like, the Indian mm. brotherhood was clearly different from the one in London, given that um, Evie's skills are different to Jacob's that we see in the DLC. Um, it would have been a really nice way to kind of interconnect them in a way that that kind of utilises skills and differences and given more of a like a narrative opportunity that we just don't get to see. Plus, it's a good point because this DLC, it's a closed story, isn't it? It yeah. doesn't... I mean, it's we, we have questions which I want to come on to, but 
Yeah, yeah, it doesn't expand the Brotherhood. It doesn't expand the Templars, any pieces of Eden. Like I said, there's no pieces of Eden. So, yeah, it's kind of a dead end, if you like. I, I mean, again, whether you need it or not, you can play it. You can get some story, a bit of character development. But, yeah, get it doesn't some trophies. Really... It's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. So that's a very good point. There could have been a way of building a DLC story that did it. Well, this comes back to something that Declan and I have talked about many times. Should you have to play DLCs to understand more plot to be fair there's no modern day so you wouldn't have to play it to understand what the initiate is doing or bishop yeah. or or Sean i mean there's modern Galina. day in the bits that you can pick up like so there's uh, like intel you can pick up at times because there's one which is um, there in jack the ripper i think so because there, i remember say seeing that's how we find out that rn schultz got married to harlan cunningham like they got married and that was kind of sort of revealed in one of like the intel bits you could find or was unlocked in the DLC. I mean, it's kind of obvious in the comics, but it's kind of spelled out there because Bishop kind of tells them to, to cut their honeymoon short because they need to get back to work finding Otsoberg or something. I can't remember. It's been a while. <laughs> Go on, Declan. Um, so, this is kind of like off what's being discussed, but I really want to discuss it when my brain um, gets fried, because I'm not good with ideas. Ah, so, fried. Uh, oh my god, get out. <laughs> <laughs> Dad jumps right, to the wind. Yes. So, have you guys both played the um, Unity DLC, Dead Kings? Yes. yes. So you may understand where I'm coming from here. Dead Kings is a very grim and dark DLC from an aesthetic point of view. Mm. If you go to Catacombs, which is very grim and dark. Jack the Ripper DLC is very grim, gothic and dark. I think the same team developed both, actually. Well, this is my thinking. Is it possible that if the series wasn't heading for the reboot with Origins, were they trying to lead the series down to a more grittier, dark, gothic route? Because... The French Revolution, you gotta admit, isn't a cheery time. If you look at if you look at the settings in Assassin's Creed leading up to Syndicate and the special DLC, they don't touch on very grim moments of time. I know the Crusade is and that's a very one hot topic, but the Renaissance is an area both of like new life, new beginning, but also there is the Borgian, there is a bit of grimness. The French Revolution there is a lot of darkness with the Civil War, but the way the story is told, there's about new hope with the whole um, building the hamp, the village, and then black flag, pirates. But you see where I'm trying to go. Like, it's as if the series is trying to aim for a more dark, gritty horror route. <laughs> Maybe a stretch, if this makes sense, uh, Louise. Hmm. I disagree. So, disagreements already right this is spicy i'm getting popcorn <laughs> carry on um so speaking from like an archeo gaming perspective um there's always going to be pieces of like history in a video game that may be kind of dialed down or dialed up to make it more quote-unquote palatable because at the end of the day you're using history or historical figures as you know, a setting. You're, it's a 
thing of entertainment that your people are buying for you. So there's always going to be differences. Like they might tone up the gay or tone down the violence or things like that. Like Syndicate was one of the happiest, most upbeat games out yeah. of the series. Yeah. So you can't. I don't know. I don't really agree with the way that you're saying that's going on a downhill trajectory. Downhill Syndicate's trajectory base game is, the- is played almost like um. Oh, this is going to sound really harsh, but it's almost like a panto comedy at times. <laughs> Do you know? I don't quite mean. I can't think of the way best way to explain it, but it is I know very. What you mean. Um, it's yeah. all very light-hearted. You know, Starrick, he's Gung-ho. literally a moustache twirling villain. I mean, you've also actually, got like Dickensian, Dickensian-esque yeah. names of like two penny. Yes, like I wonder Philip if they wrote two. it like that deliberately. They, maybe the writers went, you know, we're going all in on this. We're going to yeah. kind of poke fun. At the whole genre, I know it's. I've read a lot of people say that Syndicate's got a lot going for it, but it's the tone that isn't right, which I kind of understand. I still really enjoy playing it. I, there are the, the story does have some. It's like a shit, but it slightly creaks at the edges at times, and you think, eh, perhaps could have been better. But I think it's a really fun game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the tone is very light-hearted at times, um, and Jack the Ripper is not. I do think, I think Declan. I mean, maybe it's just on that point of of a darker tone. You're right. Dead Kings starts out very grim and very. Again, it's got that kind of sepia um, smog effect in Franciard, like we have in eighteen eighty eighteen eighty eight. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Eighteen eighty eight, London. Yeah. Um, same studio developed it. Hey, maybe they developed the same filter and decided, hey, we're going to use this filter for this other project we're working Why on. Why not want that? Exactly, exactly. Who knows? Although the difference with, and I don't remember seeing this in Jack the Ripper, but I've only played it once. The difference in Dead Kings is as you progress, the lighting and the colour pla- color palette slightly shifts as Arno starts to come out of his his post-Elise um, depression. Um, so there is there is not only his story development, but the game's design and aesthetic reflects his journey as well. I don't think it changes. In Dead Kings? In Jack the Ripper. No, I, I, don't, I don't think, think it, it does, but... Cause, I mean, if it, it does, ends... it's like right at the end when Evie's just going all out. To, it's like, okay, so it's in Lambeth, right? We're going. Mm, mm. I will just say one thing. So the right at the end... Evie defeats Jack the Ripper. That's an interesting kind of final fight. Um, and then she goes to Jacob, who's who's bloodied and beaten up, and he's he's trapped mm. in a cell. And she hugs him, and she says, "It's over, Jacob. I'm here." I was like, "Oh, we were he, robbed of a twins hug." I'm just yeah, saying. We yeah, his jaw quivers, and again, it's the mocap or it's the animation. It's amazing, um, and there's so much feeling in that scene. It's incredible. Makes me wish we had more cutscenes like it. Anyway, hmm. um, as the credits roll, this is just a little artistic thing. The, the, as the credits roll in the background, the camera is zooming out and flying through the corridors of Lambeth Asylum. And I think as a stylistic choice, it's really fantastic. Um, it's an amazing backdrop as you're sort of sitting there going, shit, this is over. <laughs> this was this was tough um, to get through at times. Um, and a very moving ending, but yes, again, very well. Actually, I think I the end of Jack... Unity was like that too. 
Yes, it, it was. You fly through the, through the catacombs. The You're right. You're right. And it kind but, of also had that sense of an emotional ending, the kind of sitting yeah. there like, and breathe, put down yeah. the controller, have a quick cry, <laughs> if you're me. Oh, I, I can either confirm or deny if that happened, Louise. I mean, at least I, I, just I, like, I felt nothing. I just nothing, really you know? like Jacob, okay? <laughs> oh, it was awful. Stop felt hurting really bad the boy. For the guy. Yeah, <laughs> leave him alone. Hasn't he suffered enough? <laughs> the first queer character you have as a playable character, you do this to him, nah. Well, I protect, yeah. I protect. Absolutely. But that kind of mention of the injury, I swear I read in an interview somewhere or like word of mouth someone told me, um, which may or may not be true, that Paul Amos fought to keep Jacob alive at that point. Oh my God. That he may have been hurt even worse. That they he were going to kill him kind off. Of, yeah, potentially. <sighs> So that he's in, like, or his injuries may have been so much worse when Evie found him. Like, because there's still debate now whether or not Jacob lost his eye. Which, in person, in my opinion, I think he did. But then that also opens up to the door of, you know, Grandpa Jacob with the pirate jokes. Ha ha. He would look so cool with an eye patch, though. (laughs) Sorry, I know that's a bit bit, bit insensitive, but he would look cool with an eye patch. (laughs) This brings me on to oh fan art I saw of that with Jacob with an eye patch and Henry meeting him again, and um, and Henry just turns to him and goes, "What's wrong with your eye, Jacob?" And it's like, the problem is, it's not in my fucking head. <laughs> this is like points to eye patch. Like, come on, brilliant. Oh, dear. Go on, Declan, mate. I'm trying to remember the point. I had. All right, uh, we'll keep yes, waffling. I've, I've got it. I've got it. So I think it's kind of hard for me to comment because technically I've never actually fully played any DLCs of Assassin's Creed before Origins, including Unity. But anyways, but the problem I'm gonna actually have to agree with what Louise has just said about keeping Jacob alive. I've never played the DLC, but for years until this chat, every time I look up the um it up or look at some articles, it always says that Jacob dies. I've always come to the understanding that Jacob dies at the end of the DLC. Which has right. always confused me why no, you he's, he's alive. kill he James has to be. He's alive if injured. But that, that's yeah. why it's really confusing like, how your Louise is saying that like, Paul Emma said tried to keep him alive. That it does actually seem to have a lot of truth in it. If a lot of articles I've seen that say that Jacob was killed. So is there a creative imbalance where they wanted to have a more impactful route where Jacob was killed, but at the end they just did change it so he was alive. Because I do not see any reason to kill Jacob. Like, come on. Could have been a last minute change and they had they refilmed the scene yeah. or re-recorded the lines. I mean, from a from a nerd law point of view, we know he survives because Lydia's database entry states yeah, he that helped Jacob Lydia, and he, so he yeah. has to. Yeah, and then they were but evacuated I, at the start yeah. of World War One. So we know that he survived, although in what condition? Yeah, Who knows? I do appreciate that though, because it's like the twins essentially have what is known as plot armor. Like you know they're going to survive, but I do appreciate they don't make it easy or don't make it believable at the end. Like as painful as that was, someone who loves the twins, mm. it was very well done mm. from a writer's perspective. It was, but um, that also brings into the question of why not mention Henry, like Evie's was implied like is engaged to him at the end of the 
at the end of Syndicate with the pressed flowers cutscene. Like he proposes to her and she says yes, they're engaged. So did they get married? Did they split up? Like is he never meant he's never mentioned beyond the photo in 1873. There's a comic where the t- Evie and Henry are there where it's set in London in 1872. So, A, why did he wait in London for so long? And B, where's Jacob? Ah, dear. Yeah. Like, Assassin's I like to Creed. Think Consistent just, storytelling yeah. throughout all the transmedia. Yep. Yeah. I like to think he just waited till Hamid died and then just his parents took him home. It's like, she can come too. She's cool. <laughs> Because the only, the only, um, it's the opening scene of Evie, or I nearly said Lydia, Evie arriving back in London and she arrives in Abilene's office. He calls uh, a him policeman, Miss Fry. Yeah, Miss Fry, geez. A, a porter or a policeman brings in her trunk, thumps it down, and it's got a sticker on it saying, you know, ship from India or something mm. like that. That's the only, and the picture in, in Jacob's um, lodgings room jacob lives in a shithole i'm gonna be honest with you the guy's an assassin can he not afford like a slightly better house i have a theory can we talk about in universe story then louise Mm -hmm. because i have questions but tell us your theory let's go okay so my theory is like one i have a big question of why didn't they use the kenway mansion because like they explored that and it's clear that the templars own it so why didn't they kind of get ownership back after, you know, Starrick's death and stuff like that to use as potentially like a bureau head instead of somewhere less practical, say, a train? Um, and if they did, why was it kind of used with people who were siding with Jack? Which would then make the logical sense of, you know, Jack just took it over. Um, but Jacob living on his own. At this point, he's had a family. He may or may not be married. Like, he, his partner or whoever, or whoever he had that son with, who the fandom has uh, kind of unofficially named uh, Emmett. Um, ah. Yes, yes. Yeah, so if you see someone called Emmett, they're talking about Jacob's son. Now, um, I want to ch- test my knowledge here, Louise, very quickly, as we've got the queen of AC law here. <laughs> if I remember rightly, Emmett Fry is one of the names we see in the opening cutscene of Syndicate when, yes. let me think, it's Sean and Bex are in the office of, oh my God, what's her name? Um, Victoria Ardent. Ar- no, Ardent. What's her first name? Isabel. Isabel and there's a list of British assassins, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and you've got like Miko, Edward Kenway, Fry, 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 Emmett Fry. And I think that's Ethan where it comes from, isn't it? Up. Yeah, Ethan's Ethan not on there, which is Ethan awesome. and Tassili are not on that list. Lydia is not yeah. on that list, but Emmett Fry is. And we know from Lydia's database entry that her dad and her mum, who was also an assassin, who is never named, um, go off and do a lot of assassiny stuff abroad, which is why Evie and Jacob train her. But for Lydia to have been born in 1893, Emmett must be must have been born at the latest 1872. 
1873, so at max five years after the main game of Syndicate. So he may have been in London at that point. So did Jacob move to live separately to protect his family and his initiates? So if Jack did come for him, he just got what was ever in the flat, which may not have been important enough to keep in the main bureau in maybe the secret room under the stairs in the Kenway mansion. Oh, yes, yes. Or just doing it, like, did he send them away? Did he put them, did he hide them underground? Like, where are they? Did he send them back to Crawley? Like, because we we never see the the British Brotherhood's kind of, we never see the council. We never see the, I was about to say, we never see, the only mention is, well, George, right at the start of Syndicate, and then um, (laughs) it still makes me laugh now, that line, it's such a silly throwaway line, but when they meet Henry on the rooftop, like, and, the and they say you. the council yeah. have sent you, and Jacob goes, "Yes, the council." <laughs> and they move seen, on. <laughs> oh, speaking of art, um, stealing potatoes or poats did a, did an art stealing piece. Stealing potatoes. Who who is yeah. this? This sounds great already, just from the They're name. An artist on Twitter who I also know on Discord. They awesome. Um, she <laughs> did an art piece that's kind of set like in the immediate aftermath of Starek's assassination, where Henry just goes, "Great, we've done it. We get this. The council's going to be so pleased." And the twins just turn to each other and go, "Oh shit, we have to still tell the council." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but yeah, they're never mentioned. Uh, no. Like, no. are they in Crawley? Are they? I don't know. Are they in Winchester? Hmm. There's so many like big cities around London. Yeah, made, there's a lot of gaps That would also have there. big historical significance for the assassins like Winchester. You could have had them in Tamworth, I don't know, um, or Birmingham. Manchester, have bureaus up north. Send them to the Scottish Bureau. Mm. I don't know. It, it's a it's good point. So many questions are left unanswered mm. from an mm. in-law game law perspective. Mm. So how do you interpret, um, it's Nellie, isn't it, that, that's kind of our guide Nelly, through yeah. the story? What is, is she just a, a, an interested bystander? Is she an assassin? Is she one of Jacob's informants? How do you interpret her role okay. and her relationship? Because hmm. a lot of people read her as, oh, Jacob's sleeping with her, or she's Jacob's wife or Oh, girlfriend. I never, never thought that. I no. never got that vibe. No, not at all. Um, hmm. I don't know. I like to think that maybe she would have been not an assassin, but an assassin aide, like like an informant. One of the ones who is passing information to maybe assassins or someone who can get it to them or to rooks, but never, like, may have had basic training. Kind of like what Claudia did with the Rosa in Fury. Like, those girls were trained to help protect themselves with someone who has and a connection with the assassins but Nellie isn't an assassin herself but she knows who they are kind of like knows that they are help helpers and like aid in a way that maybe they aren't entirely aware of the, the transparency but it's like oh so Jacob probably will help us give him the information he'll sort it out Hmm. So to be honest, I've never known who are the contacts in this game. <laughs> I had 
But I am now wondering, um, and I could literally be on the a wrong direction here, but what about all of their farmer's contacts? Because in the Underworld novel, he had, um, oh, who is it? It was, because there was somebody who was talking to There was to one her. of Freddy's um, police buddies, wasn't there? Yeah, and there was... Who fakes his death, um, gets, gets a little bit injured. Oh god, what is his name? But I know who you mean, yeah. There's also the people who help who Henry knows from building the tunnel. There is like everyone you would have known during Syndicate and everyone they would have um you know, recruited later. And also Mark Twain from the is it Conspiracies? The Conspiracies comic is set in 1872 in London, where you've got um, two Pinkerton agency dudes, and one of them is Samuel Clemens, which is the real name of Mark Twain, the author. So Evie and Henry know Mark Twain. <laughs> um, not to sound harsh on this tangent, but I swear Syndicate is just a game where they try and shoehorn as many fa- famous people as possible. It's- Assassin's Creed 2. Does Sanskrit do do that as well? Well, you think about how many just casual people that Ezio knows. Like, oh, it just so happens that his father's patron is Il Magnifico. Um, he knows Machiavelli. He knows Borgia. He Le- Leonardo. Leonardo da Vinci is his boy. Um, Several doges or doges of uh, Venice. You know, the Pope or the future Pope. Much power. <laughs> much power of yeah. every robe. Yeah, <laughs> but I think the difference is that for Syndicate it feels very shoehorned in. It might be the difference in writing, like for Syndicate and Jack the Ripper DLC, it feels shoehorned in in a way that maybe two and maybe the quote-unquote mythology trilogy, which is Origins onwards, doesn't do. Also, Black Flag, I guess it's like. They exist and they're natural, and you may come in contact with them. It's not, oh, we're going to meet a person. Oh, it's the Maharaja. Hi. He just happens to be there and just happens to be Henry's great uncle, which is never explained, but is true when you look at it on family trees. The the one that I didn't like, and it's kind of probably wrong, but is Charles Dickens. That they just bump into him, it's like, oh, it's Charles Dickens. That's actually like, the most historically accurate one. It, <laughs> because I've, he I've, used to just go walking in London to the point that he was a regular at like ten or so different pubs in the East End. I, I've Is that heard why that... we consistently meet him near pubs? Yeah. Then? Oh my god, I did not. Because he was that. just he used to just go on walks in the middle of the night in London, and just like just go and wander into pubs. The true Brit. I see. I've heard that a lot, and he's like a proper true Brit. But I just kind of thought, like, how random it was that it was the first thing. It was just like bump to a guy. Oh, it's Charles Dickens. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> but yeah, that they was probably weird. would have probably done that. Probably would, but I think from I think maybe just me, I was a bit like, oh, that was mm. weird. <laughs> Why we ran? We just got to London. Now we're automatically meeting people. Who we're rubbing shoulders with next? The one bump in that I think is kind of the weirdest for the main for the main game we're speaking here. Arthur Conan Doyle. He's a ten year old child. Little Artie. Who is Scottish (laughs) 
and should be in Edinburgh at this point, yet he sounds English. Where do you meet Conan Doyle? Uh, in the um, dreadful he's, crimes. He's the kid. Ah, I've he's never like done that. Boy Wonder in the uh, Dreadful Crimes DLC. But yeah, it's not. It's not even. It's like supposed to be the big reveal at the end. It's like mine. I should probably use my pen name, my full name, Arthur Conan Doyle. But as soon as you meet him, it's already opened in the database. So. That sounds like a bug. <laughs> like I do as soon have as you the... meet in the database entrance, and it's like, oh, it's Arthur Conan Doyle. Why do you sound English? <laughs> there is a perfect way to explain all of these slight inconsistencies, and that is to say, it's the Animus. <laughs> but Alexander Graham Bell's Scottish, so you can't say the Animus just hates Scottish accents. Uh, Louise, those are your words, not mine. <laughs> We're going to get letters now. <laughs> I don't hate Sc- the Scottish accent. I love the Scots. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I want more Scottish content, please. I'm afraid I had to step away for a minute to let my dog out who was bothering me. And uh, now he's back in the house. He's just stolen my socks. Oh, which is very dogs. nice. Dog. Thanks for that, I'm- Sammy. Yeah. You just ran me up the dog. There's a question I really need to ask somebody about Syndicate. Mm-hmm. Is it true there's a dog Wait, in Syndicate Louise, he's going to ask. Yes, he is. <laughs> is this true? I've I've never fully completed Mrs. Syndicate. Disraeli's do- Mrs. Disraeli's Corgi is called Desmond. He has his own database entry. And it is heartbreaking because it is also written by Sean. It is a few lines long. It basically goes, this is not funny, universe. Not funny at all. And he goes and gets pissed drunk. Well, that's not the answer I was expecting. But yeah, there is a dog called Desmond. So I've seen a lot of people... He doesn't like dis- Jacob. <laughs> well, Jacob's awesome. But I've seen a lot of people discuss it, but I've never got that far in the game. So I'm just like, is it real? Or is this just a fan yeah. art? Oh, it's so, brilliant. So you know in the driving Miss Disraeli mission where you take Mrs. Uh, Marianne Disraeli um, through a walking tour of um, basically one the highest level stronghold on the map in Westminster her dog gets stolen and you have to chase him to get him back that's Desmond (laughs) and Louise I want to ask you a deep syndicate law question so you clear um, I forget what that that stronghold is um, but at the end of it you've you found Desmond and we find Mary Disraeli talking to John the Tosser John the Tosser charmed there we are. Anyway, <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm amused by childish humour. It's the British names for you. Seriously, it- Britons <laughs> cannot name people normally. Come on. It does make me wonder, did that joke fly for anyone who wasn't a Brit? Probably not. Considering um, Donald Trump's last name that many Americans did not know. It means fart in the UK. <laughs> Source of endless amusement to me. <laughs> I, I, maybe our Antipodean friends would have got the joke. Yeah. Maybe. Let us know if you got the joke. I am, I am actually Absolutely. very curious to see. <laughs> Do send us a postcard at. <laughs> Do people send postcards now? Sorry, we've gone way off topic. Um, what are we doing? <laughs> Jack the Ripper. So... 
I've got one question for you, Louise. What is the name of the sort of the brass bracelets that Evie uses? Oh. Do they have a name? Do we know what they're called? Is it is it is it something real or is it something they just made up for the game? I think they're real. I think they are modelled off something to do with I think Hinduism, not Hinduism. Uh Sikhism. Okay. That I I did look it up but it's been a while so I might be wrong. Apologies if I am. That it's something to do with like um like wedding bands or something that oh, a married okay. woman might wear. Yeah, yeah. Which again adds um, something to the idea of like you know he Evie and Henry did get married, mm. but there's no payoff to mm. that. It's just, but yeah, it's something kind of. It's another visual reminder of the time that Evie spent in India, yeah, and like learning and becoming involved with the culture of her husband's family and her husband's homeland. Because Amritsar, which is where he's from, was, you know, part, not, was kind of like, it's one of the holiest sites in Sikhism. Yeah, the gold temples there in the middle yeah. of a, like mm-hmm. a, a, I don't know if it's man-made or natural, but it's in the middle of a lake, isn't it? Mm-hmm. One of the holiest sites in their religion. Mm. Interesting. I need to look that up after the after the show. I'm I'm, I'm sure it's. Maybe it's in the database entries. Yeah. So for you, Louise, it's one of the. You would you would give it definitely negative mark because of it. It deals with a topic that it should should never have dealt with, and it doesn't deal with it in a good way. I wouldn't. Mm, I really, really don't like the context. Yeah. Or the way it was overall handled, but the way it was written. And the way it's designed was very powerfully done. I'll give it that. So I wouldn't say a negative mark, but like the context and the setting would definitely bring the mark down, in my opinion. But it's one that I will finish once, get all the trophies once, and never play again. Because the first, the, yeah. the first time I played it, I got to mission four, which is the one in, in the Kenway mansion, which is why it sticks out. And the realization that it was the Kenway mansion and like corrupting stuff on top of everything else with like the women and the murder and the Jack the Ripper freaked me out so much. I had to stop and I haven't been able to pick it up since I've watched playthroughs of it. I've watched, I got my flatmate to play it and I sat and watched them play it. But I just can't bring myself to finish it. It's the only DLC I haven't finished up until Valhalla, but that's a whole can of worms. Quick question then, because I know again we're going off topic, but have you played Tyranny of King Washington? I have. Oh, I need to figure out how to beat that early mission with the cannon. I've it died took, so many I'll times. I'll be honest, it took me forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't played that one because I got stuck, and I haven't even started... Lost Archive. Mm. I've oh, are, are the Leonardo's Machines a DLC? Are they just extra memories in Brotherhood? Because I haven't done those I either. think they're a DLC, but I played them through the Ezio collection, so they were already included. Gotcha. Like gotcha, the yeah. Bonfire of the Vanity stuff. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've done that one. But um, 
Yeah, yeah, okay. And for you, Declan, is it one that you think you would come and complete at some point, or you just you're not interested and probably never will play it? I probably won't play it, but not for the reasons that have been discussed here. Um, I'm the type of gamer that just doesn't see the point in DLCs. Like, yeah. I understand why they're there and what they do, but prior to people's knowledge, yes, I'm running an Assassin's Creed podcast. Yes, I have been playing since it first came out in 2007, but no, I've never played the DLCs. That's a thing that I'll admit, I've never... Dead Kings, I played about an hour, got bored of, didn't really understand what I was doing, but then again, because there's no spoiler content, I played, started playing that after 10 minutes of getting into um, uh, Paris, I think it was, or about 20 minutes, so wasn't supposed to be there. Um, I oh, you played it early, do you mean? Yes. You tra- oh, you did the thing that lots of people do. Yeah, they click the wrong I- icon and they end up in France Yard, yeah. Um, um, other than that, I did not know any deals. I literally assume, and I'm not going to get a lot of backlash for this, but I assume that Origins, um, I think it was the Hidden Hidden Ones DLC, because that was the first one I played, and I assume that was the first ever Assassin's Creed DLC. Gotcha. I, and then I played. Then when I got when I replayed Unity, I then saw on the store that there was Dead Kings for free, and I was like, "Ah, oh, it's free. I'll get it." But since then, I kind of assumed that Hidden Ones was the first ever DLC they made. And when the user all like, "But there's Jack the Ripper DLC. There's um, oh, Freedom Cry." There's Bonfire's Vanity, and I'm like, bloody hell, I'm not playing any of these. So much content that does it really add anything to the games? Are they needed to play? That's Probably. a very good question. It is. Yeah, because to be honest, with Jack the Ripper, I would say no. I feel like if you are going to have a DLC for a game, it has to add something to the narrative, and I don't know how much, in a proactive sense, the Jack the Ripper DLC adds to the lore and the narrative, other than Ubisoft just wanting to cash in on how popular Jack the Ripper is. Which I don't... Which I know they're trying to kind of... You know, they're a games company. They're doing something that's a form of entertainment, but... Eh? It's dicey. It's like... People keep asking for a World War Two game, but I really don't want to see that. Me neither. I'm with you. Like I have a whole thing that I'm a whole podcast episode I'm doing on my own that I'm gonna go into that, but TLDR, no, I don't want to see one. No. And I think this is where I'm like currently standing at. Like I'll just keep brief off if you know it's probably long winded, but when I look at all the other DLCs, like Bonfire of the Vanity, the DLCs for Brotherhood of Legends. I've completed them games without the DLCs. Um, have I missed any lore? Well, not really. Not no really. one's ever asked me any lore questions that I've gone, oh, when did that exist? Oh, yeah, it's specifically Bonfire Eventing DLC. Never happened. I know Freedom Cry is a very great game for Adewale, but because that's a standalone DLC, so it acts as like a mini game, I can disregard that as a DLC because it can be played without actually. Owning Black Flag, so that's different. 
Dead Kings is more of an epilogue, in my opinion. It's good, but if you played Unity, you've got the story already. And the more we talk about Syndicate, it's like, well, I've got the story already. This is just an epilogue that, yeah, it may have been better if they created a story where we knew more about Evie and Jacob and their actual growth from Syndicate. But at the moment, it's just an epilogue that's not needed. And not to be rude, yeah. none of the uh, mythology DLCs are needed to play either. Like, they're good, but unless Fate of Atlantis, because they had to be a-holes and force people to play in Fate of Atlantis <laughs> to understand Valhalla, because, yeah. you know, how do people buy our season pass? Force them to get a modern-day ending into a DLC. Anyways, I'm very anti-DLCs. <laughs> do you know what? I've I, I've gone... My, my opinions have changed a lot in the last couple of years on, on the topic of DLC generally. Um... Odyssey was the first game that I played in the franchise and I just bought the base, whatever the basic edition of the game was. I think I bought it, no, I remember I bought it on sale through Steam. I think I paid £30 and I I saw that there were these other editions and extra content. I'd never played a game with downloadable content until that point because the games that I played, to be fair, it was a long time ago, you just got the game. You know, it's a really weird old-fashioned way. You just bought the game, played the game and moved on with your life. Anyway, um, so when I got to the end of Odyssey's story, I thought, I've, I've really enjoyed this. Okay, there's extra content. Let's try it out. So I bought it, got it again at a discount because it was a long time after release, probably six, eight months after release. I, I purchased the DLC. Um, and again, the DLC was of mixed quality, let's say, um, for Odyssey. Now, when it came to the newer games, as I started to buy the other games in the franchise, um, I generally purchased the version that contained everything but i generally waited until they were on sale the only game i've paid full price for in this entire franchise was valhalla because i pre-ordered it the gold edition which came with the two dlcs Mm. um and what i'll just say on the topic of dlc is i won't be pre-ordering um any of these games in the future Um, and i especially won't be pre-ordering um the sort of the gold edition or the the full bundle or whatever you want to call it, whatever it's called in the future, because I'm not going to waste my time on DLCs like Wrath of the Druids and Siege of Paris. Now, I will just say one thing. I actually quite enjoyed them as self-contained things to do when I played them. I thought they they were pretty decent. They had their own interesting parts and some parts were frustrating, but I've become a bit more... What's the right word? Cynical? Cynical is probably is is absolutely half of it. Um, a bit more cynical and just a bit more protective of my time. Um, and I think that's why I really enjoy. And again, I'll put enjoying quotes here, and I do mean that. I'm not trying to be sort of um, condescending to you, Louise. I totally respect what you've said about Jack the Ripper, but as a gameplay challenge, let's say, I really did enjoy Jack the Ripper. I really enjoyed Dead Kings. Um, just winding back a few weeks to when I replayed AC Two. I really enjoyed Bonfire of the Vanities because it's it's nine targets in one city. Each target's got a slightly different approach, and it kind of tests your parkour and your your ability to use your tools. So it's quite a it's great little little add on, but totally optional, Declan. Um, where was I going with this? So yeah, when we've now got these mammoth DLCs, and I haven't played um, Dawn of Ragnarok, probably never will. Um, I'm going to base my purchasing decisions on 
How much time are you demanding of me? And is that time going to be respected? If it's a short DLC, I'll probably play it. But if it's a longer one and actually it doesn't advance any plot, whether it's tell, tell me more about the historical character that we've been playing as in the Animus or advance the modern day or maybe do like a tangent story where we go off like the book you've just read Declan Sword of the White Horse which I've got to which I'll be reading next week when I'm on holiday imagine that was a DLC so it's it's set in the same map in the same world it's all the same combat but it tells a side story of a different character that could be an interesting DLC because it's totally optional so if you are on a limited budget you don't need to play it but again I'll, I'll be a lot more cautious about where I spend my money um, because I just don't want to waste 40 or 50 hours on two DLCs and basically come out of it going, what was the point in that? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfortunately where I've come to in the last nine months or so. Um, but when I look back at the earlier games, and I don't know whether they charged a lot less for them or not, or whether whether games development has become more automated so they can make quote-unquote bigger, longer DLCs for the same budget, um, but I'd much rather replay Bonfire of the Vanities, Dead Kings, um, uh, oh my god, Adewale's DLC, which Freedom I can't Cry. remember. Freedom Cry, thank you. We Deccan said the name a minute ago. That's a great story of what, six, eight memories over, I don't know, 10 hours. Um, that Those were all much more enjoyable, sort of self contained stories that felt like they had a beginning, middle, and an end, or they challenged you in new ways. Whereas recently, what we've had has, has not been that. And um, yeah, so anyway, thank you for coming to my TED talk about DLC. I should be a lot more cautious in the future. Um, on about DLC quickly, I do want to make a note because I know a lot of people are not aware of this. Unity's Dead Kings DLC is actually the most accessible DLC in the franchise because it's permanently free to everybody forever. So yes. a lot of people yeah, don't actually right. know that yeah. you never have to buy. Unity's the only DLC. other one is the crossover missions. Yes, but like for a full, point. full like announced DLC. Yeah, I'd forgotten to even think about. It. I mean, as 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 let's call it a DLC. That's my that, Louise. How could I forget? That's my favorite DLC. <laughs> <laughs> Those who are treasured the the expansion to um, to Odyssey. I, I must admit, I really enjoyed um, a Fated Encounter. The the other half of it that mm. was added to Valhalla. I haven't played that yet. I've. <gasps> <laughs> live stream I've played, live I, stream i love <laughs> i might do hmm. keep an eye on the nerdy archer youtube channel for more Happy days. <laughs> Subtle fucker. but no i i don't i definitely preferred the first half of that crossover dlc like you've spoken about the dlc before the crossover yeah you you mean um the the addition to Odyssey, yeah, that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, um, yeah, we did a review of it with uh, Sani uh, back in January or Ooh, even end of December, yeah. I think. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely loved that. Loved how it kind of add just kind of continued on with what Cass or Alexios would know, and then that kind of like plot twist at the end of like, oh, the spear stopped working. If I'd had a camera reaction on my face at that point. Mm. Oh, mm. but like that's the kind of thing that you like the reaction, the kind of like investment of time and personality that you want to get out of a DLC. For JTR, I didn't really get that. More in the kind of well, I had a visceral reaction, just not a positive one. <laughs> I was yeah. terrified. 
yeah. and I'm not a horror gamer. At that point, I kind of was because, you know, it was the heyday of Five Nights at Freddy's. So I'd played that quite a lot at that time, which I think is the only reason I got through it the first time. But like, I'm not a horror gamer and coming out from Syndicate, which was such a positive, like, quote unquote, uplifting ending. Mm. As cheesy mm. as it might have been. I don't know. I don't like it was well written. I just don't like it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I feel you- like there's quite a few DLCs sort of it that are might that are like like you were saying, maybe too big, but also contradict their storytelling with the main game. And it's something that I've been like I've heard a couple of people say and something I think that um Assassin's Creed could do again with like a lawmaster or someone who's in charge of keeping all the information in line so it doesn't contradict itself. Yeah. I would actually say that person could even have a more useful role, which is to say, oh, you're thinking of writing a game in this time period. That's nice. Here's Here's all the different references. Here's all the different paths that might cross or that you could explore either in the story or as expansion story. And we know Um, that... um, Ubisoft and the teams developing the games are aware of what the people want. Hence why the, like some of the like crossover stories were a bit of fan service. Yes. Like they felt quite fan servicey because they may have looked at what people were saying about Cass Alexios and Abel, about, you know, what sort of things they were saying, the fan art, the videos, the reactions on streams, the cosplay. Um And like there are other other kind of franchises, like Critical Role has a law keeper and someone who's in charge of making sure all the timelines and all the information stacks up. Can I just, just pause you reference. very quickly there? Because I've heard you and many others talking about Critical Role. I know nothing about it. Can you can you give me and any of our listeners that don't know like a one minute summary? Yeah. So Critical Role is a live streamed Dungeons and Dragons game. Its DM is Matthew Mercer, the voice actor, and the rest of the table are also voice actors. So you've got like um, Laura Bailey, you've got Ashley Johnson, who people might know from The Last of Us, um, Travis Willingham, uh, Talison Jaffe, Liam O'Brien, and Marisha Ray, plus a few guest actors here and there. Um, it's, It's set in a world that Matt created and yeah, Dungeons and Dragons shenanigans ensue. But it's a completely created world. It's had official D and D content books and setting books released. It's had its own like godly pantheon. It's it's vast and expansive and it's kind of like Assassin's Creed with the Isu stuff and the Brotherhood. Like there is so much information there, you need someone to keep on con- in, on top of all of that. So the information doesn't get like twisted around. And they have that, and it works really well. Like, they have... um, Danny Carr, her name is. She keeps... She's basically around when they do stuff, so she can quickly, like, reference. So they had, like, a talk show until recently where you would hear her off-camera, like, like adding bits of facts in. Or, like, when they needed a quick reference of what happened in this episode, or did this happen then? Mm. Or, like, even keeping up to a calendar day by day of like travel and stuff like that works remarkably well 
highly re- re- recommend. And yeah, I think Assassin's Creed also needs this lore keeper. Agreed. And if they're taking um, applications, I am available. <laughs> yep, I've got I've got two two names come to my head um, when we talk about lore, and you are one of them. And because I'm currently binge listening to his, uh, yes, if you're listening to this thinking, what the heck? Yes, I do with Declan, co-host an Assassin's Creed podcast. I'm currently listening to another Assassin's Creed podcast, which is Visions of the Past, which you should definitely check out because yes, Andrew, the host of it, guy. he is. And his knowledge of especially transmedia and um, he can tell great stories about the, the life of a piece of him. We've had him on the show a few times recently and he's definitely coming back on. Um, I've been over the last two weeks. His podcast has been keeping me company on many dog walks and doing chores around the house, and all the rest of it. And um, I would vote for you and and Andrew as a sort of uh, a daring duo of law keepers. Um, so there we are. If anyone's listening from Ubisoft, do write to Louise and Andrew because <laughs> they're great and they know their stuff. So. There we are. Um, I have no other points I wanted to make um, on Jack the Ripper. What about you, Louise? Um, I think I've already said everything. Very good. So your your summary is probably shouldn't have made it, or if they did, they should have addressed certain topics more carefully. Is that is that fair? Yeah, it's not well handled, but um, yeah, very very good in the writing and the design sense context wise is a bit inhale yeah. through teeth his, uh, iffy mm. gotcha. gotcha worth a play once and kind of well I personally don't like it in the, set- in the setting sense definitely mm. a decent DLC definitely yeah. not the worst but definitely not the best mm. You definitely gave me food for thought tonight. I mean, certainly when I played it, um, I I had that slight, like we were saying at the top of the show, with that Roots and Notre Dame VR experience, I had that slight, eh, is this right? Um, but just as a gameplay and as a, if you if you ignore the surrounding bigger topics, I think it's a very well-structured story, good gameplay. Um, like you say, worth playing if you own it. If you don't, is it worth purchasing? Probably not, to be honest, because it won't tell you anything about Assassins and Templars and Pieces of Eden and all the rest of it, um, but it is worth a play. So Declan, there we are. We, we did go a bit off tangent there, but it was fun to chat about other DLCs as well. Declan, have we persuaded you to play it or not? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Um, because I'm just going to bring up my favourite person in the community, and his perfect example that there is no clean breaks in history. That's words from Darby McDevitt. And Syndicate is deals he's proven that there's no clean breaks in history to say one is a Templar, one is an assassin. And for them to take that an iconic, horrible moment in British history and force a clean break between assassins versus Templars and make a villain, an assassin, and that's it, it's black and white, Jack was an assassin, and that's why he did all the things, is very disrespectful, not just in the memory of everything that happened and all the horror that people went through in that time, because that was a very scary time, but also really just paints 
a weird light on the assassins as well that if assassin gets angry he's gonna go on a killing spree but why <laughs> so i'm not gonna go near it I, the gameplay mechanics that fear sound interesting and the world may be interesting but uh, i've got mental health problems <laughs> that, like yeah. Yeah. Like not not to sound thing, but I've got depression and anxiety. I don't think I could mentally cope playing as Jack the Ripper using fear me- mechanics. I think I'd probably just trip my head out too much. Yeah, that's a fair point, mate. And that's probably a good kind of PSA to include in in the show. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, take breaks if you're going to play it. I played it in the middle of the day, and I still felt, eh, it's, as, it's uh, uncomfy. I'm going to be honest, the most uncomfortable one that made me just, like, literally turn off the game and go to bed had to be the child scene in Origins. A uh, little shadier. Shadier. Yes. That literally broke my mind because Assassin's Creed, you know, you're the guy on the rooftops. You're the god. You're better than everything because you will save the day. But Sometimes no. the Assassins don't save the day. Yeah. And I, I think... Christina. I think, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but when it's an adult, it it hits home. But when it's something like as small as as a child, I think it hits home harder, especially when you're a parent. So it's kind of like especially this week, I don't think I could replay that mission, especially that's not this week. That's a very week. good point. Yeah, it's yeah. so it's Assassin's Creed has always had them heartbreaking moments, but I really think with this with the Syndicate DLC it went too far at trying to deliver emotional impact by toying with something that did not need to be toyed with. I think that's probably my best reason to avoid it. If you're gonna if you're gonna make a DLC or a story, find if you can't make a clean break and you can't be respectful, then it's either create an invisible villain or move on. That's the best way to always approach the Assassin's Creed franchise in my opinion. But I think that's all we've got time for. Um, I think so. So on the topic of deal... <laughs> so I would actually love to hear... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm going to wrap up the show. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> so if you guys actually have played the DLC and you want to offer your opinions, then please email us at assistancequeer.com. You can reach out to me and James at James Tisliquid and at AC Lestock. You can find... Louise's information at the Nerdy Archer, and um, which you can. She'll tell us where the Rookery archive is located, and it's not in an actual library as I assume archives, most archives are kept. A shame. I wish I had a library. So do I, actually. <laughs> I've got so many Stephen books. I'm, one day, maybe we'll co own a library in London or something. It sounds fancy. The dream. The absolute dream. <laughs> So, I was going to promote Syndicate, but I thought out of being nice enough to actually point some DLC that actually is really fun to play, but not needed. We do have Assassin's Creed Gold currently on edition with CD keys. The retail price is $79.99, but you can pick it up for a steal of $17.99. So, that's 78% off, and every purchase you make through CD keys does help the show grow. So, if you do want to get into DLCs and you haven't made the mistake of pre-ordering the gold edition, jump on the CD case and see what you can find. Origins is a good one and the DLCs are a bit more interesting to play, in my opinion. 
and we'll see us all next week. See you soon.